This is episode number 275 with Mr. Rob Bell. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. everyone to the School of Greatness podcast. I am so excited for this as I am excited for every guest because I handpick every guest. I curate and facilitate the individuals that come on this show and I take it very seriously who I bring on because I want to make sure it leaves the biggest impact in your lives possible. And someone emailed me recently and said, you know, I love all of your podcasts and the ones that I feel like I want to skip over because I don't know who the person is or I don't think it'll be uh, relevant to my life or my business. I tend wanting to skip over, but then I actually go and listen to it and I realize those are some of the most impactful interviews out there on your show. So thank you to you guys for trusting me, for constantly diving in, even when you're not sure how it's going to relate to you. I'm thinking and preparing and asking the questions to make sure it relates to you on all areas of your life. So even if it's a spiritual uh, leader like Rob Bell, who we have on today, you may not think it's going to uh, pertain to your business in any way or your health or your relationships, but I'm telling you, you're going to find some incredible golden nuggets in this one for all areas of your life. And even if you find one good idea from all these different episodes that you can apply it's going to be worth it. So thank you again for trusting me, for listening to all the episodes, for downloading, for sharing it with your friends. You mean the world to me. It's because of you that we're able to grow this audience and grow the movement of greatness. I'm trying to impact 100 million lives, and I can't do it without your help. So thank you so very much. What we're talking about today, we dive in pretty deep, and this is going to be a two-part uh, series with Rob because... We went pretty long, so I want to break it up for you guys so you can digest it and take it in and consume this information and start applying it. So we'll do one uh, right now and then another in a couple days. And we talk about – we go all over the place, to be honest, and we cover a lot of great things. I ask him right off the bat, you know, why are we actually here? You know, Rob Bell, for those that don't know him, he is Time Magazine's one of the most top 100 influential people in the world. He toured with Oprah for a summer all around the country talking about uh, leadership and spirituality and wellness and all these different topics. He's trusted by many. He built one of the largest churches in the country back in Michigan, and he's got a, his own podcast. He's got a number of books, a New York Times bestselling author. He's an incredible human being and an awesome guy. I go over and hang out at his place with him and his wife and his, his kids, and we watch football on Sundays. And uh, just an incredible human being. So if you don't know who he is or if this is your first time being aware of him, uh, make sure to check out the show notes at lewishouse.com slash 275 to learn more. And we dive into some topics about why we're actually here. You know, I ask him, why are we here? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of all this life? What do we put our faith into when something terrible goes wrong, when something tragic happens, when we're unsure or uncertain of what decision we're supposed to do. What are we putting our faith in? What should we put our faith in? Should we put it in God or the Bible or something else? What should we put our faith in? 
how spiritual traditions have let us down in contemporary and modern society and how some things from the past traditions don't apply to us today and which ones we should be following. A new perspective on uh, religious stories and how we can apply those today, how we make interpretations around everything we read and believe. We also talk about marriage, divorce. We talk about same-sex marriage. We talk about a lot of these different ideas and challenges that people go through feeling guilty, feeling unsure, uncertain, questioning their own faith. doesn't matter what religion you're in, but questioning these things. So I urge you to pay full attention to this episode and the second part, which will come out in a couple days. And make sure to share this with your friends because I think you're going to get a lot out of these two episodes. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the one and only Rob Bell. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. At Capella University. You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So welcome, everyone. This is the School of Greatness podcast with Rob Bell, my good friend. We're here at West Hollywood in his little jam band studio in the back, your backyard uh, little, what do you call this thing? Well... Studio. We call it the back house. The back house. Formerly a garage, now the world headquarters of whatever. And <laughs> and my one son's bedroom. Yeah, it's back nice. There. It's so cool. I was Drums. like, this, this is the this would be the best place to live if you're like a sixteen year old. Right. My my fifteen year old son Preston has his room back there. It's amazing. So you live in the middle of LA and you're fifteen and there's Uber. And the universe own, likes you. Yes. You've got your own bathroom, your own like room, drum set. And then this room is surfboards, drums bass guitars my desk it's where amazing. i do all my work and it's just great it's amazing and here we are it's awesome and we recorded a podcast here rob's got an incredible podcast called rob bell cast Robcast. Robcast. yeah and um and you were on i was on and then after me so this fantastic. is my claim to fame i was on and then after me was oprah so i became <laughs> before oprah and uh i get to brag about that and i just got back from a book tour and Every stop I went to, I'd ask people about how they found me, and so many people said because of Rob Bell's podcast. So wow. we have a lot of fans out there, and so many people Good. loved our first podcast. It was probably about a year ago, mm-hmm. maybe about nine months ago, because it was before you yeah. moved here. Yeah, right, right. It's probably in like March-ish or something. Yeah. 2015. So people loved it. They still talk about it. And I that thought, was so much fun. I th- and you've got a book coming out in a few months, so we're going to have you come back on for that to promote the book. But I wanted to... Start off the year, uh, 2016, a lot of people are going through transition. Mm-hmm. It's a time to think, reflect. Um, you know, 
a lot of people went through struggles last year that I talked to. A lot yeah. of people that were going through heartache, breakups, mm-hmm. losing their jobs, you know, uh, challenges, sickness, disease, people dying in the family, just a lot of heartache, struggle that happened. Not for everyone, but I just felt like it was happening for yes. a lot of people. Yeah. And I feel like you're my spiritual, you know, you bring me back to like grounded in a spiritual sense. Every time I get like distracted or feel like what's the point or what's mm-hmm. the reason, what's the meaning, the purpose. I'm yeah, like, what are we I need to talk here? to Rob. I need to like get grounded and talk to Rob. And I think of it as a reflection of like, I think other people are feeling the same way because I hear the same things happening. So I thought I'd ask you some questions about purpose, life, yeah. God, the Bible, um, because I'm always so interested. And I'm going to start with this. There were some questions that people sent in via Snapchat, actually. I had people texting me questions as well. So I'd like to ask a few things. And <laughs> the biggest question is, why do you think we're actually here? <laughs> big, big, easy question to start off with. But why do you think we're all here? And do you think that it's on purpose or do you think uh, that there's a reason for us all being here? Or do you think it's kind of by accident or chance that, each one of us are here. Well, the, the one interesting thing about h- human beings for thousands of years, since wherever we first sort of <clears throat> emerged here, is we can't help but look for meaning. So you can remove any what they call a meta narrative, any larger purpose. You uh-huh. can say, we're just, we're just happened to be here. We, we just emerged and we just, it's all an accident. You die, the lights are turned off. That's it. Right. But then the same person who says to you, there's no point to any of it, there's no larger story, there's no divine being, or forget that nonsense, will also say, oh, my word, this show on Netflix I've been watching is blowing my mind. It's <laughs> yeah. so powerful. It's, it's just so meaningful. Mm. So <laughs> you uh, cannot avoid this fundamental human longing to make sense of this. Yeah. There's this great story about this master teacher, Akiva. And Akiva lived about 2,000 years ago. One night, he's walking home to his village. And it's late at night, it's foggy, and there's a fork in the road. And he misses the turnoff to his village. And he ends up at the gates of this massive Roman Roman military fortress. And he hears a rustling on top of the gate, and a soldier yells down, Who are you, and what are you doing here? And Akiva says, Excuse me? And this guard yells down, who are you and what are you doing here? And Akiva says, how much are they paying you? And he's like, what? And Akiva says, how much are they paying you? And the soldier's like, uh, 10 (laughs) denarius a week. And Akiva says, I'll pay you twice that to come to my house every morning and ask me those two questions. Ooh. Who are you and what are you doing here? So what's interesting about the modern world is that we were taught to multitask. We were taught to do internships. We were taught already by the end of junior high, you're being taught, hey, next year in high school, your grades are going to count because colleges are going to look at that. Yes. Then it's like, well, you got to pad your extracurriculars for colleges. Then in colleges, you got to get the right internships. You get that job. We were taught how to succeed, how to multitask, how to make money, how to impress your boss, how to be the first one there in the morning and the last one to leave the parking lot at night we were we were raised in in a world that taught us how to do this 
But that's a very, very different set of questions and skills than how to orient your life in such a way that when you wake up in the morning, you actually have a sense of joy and wonder about this day. Hmm. That's a completely different set of muscles and skills. And so you have lots of people who are taught how to climb the ladder, how to be very successful, but they were never taught how do you live your life in such a way that you wake up in the morning with a sense of, can you believe we get to do this? Right. Um, and I think you have a crisis now because you have people who have nice cars and nice houses and vacation and nice places, and they know how to network and they know how to strategery. Yeah. We, we know... Um, how to hack the system. Yeah. And and there's this sort of existential thud when you're driving into work and you've just stopped at Starbucks with, what the, what is the point of any of this? Mm-hmm. And the problem is... There are great, there is great wisdom and there are traditions. Traditionally, the the power of the spiritual tradition is it gave you rituals, it gave you practices, it gave you stories and metaphors that would help ground you and center you, would help remind you the the point of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can look at certain traditions that have prayers about how to work through the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of place, the loss of, like there are, uh, in the tradition I come out of, like the Psalms are about what to do when you're faced with injustice, when you've been wronged, when someone's persecuting you, when an enemy just keeps coming at you, whether it's your annoying brother-in-law at, <laughs> at the Thanksgiving Day di- dinner, you know what I mean? Or it's a coworker who just won't let up. Um, there are prayers that you say to help you get all that out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And sure. I think for many people, this, the the spiritual tradition let them down. It became boring, judgmental, um, anti-science, anti-gay, anti-intellectual, anti- it became, and so... When you from, mean the spiritual tradition, what do you mean? I think for many people, they... Th- their religion or their... In the, in the, they grew up with some tradition that failed them at some level. What was the tradition that you grew up in? I grew up we would we would go to Christian churches. Yeah. And I actually I loved I thought the Jesus message, love, grace, generosity, how do you worry less? How do you become more courageous? How do you love your enemy instead of being consumed with bitterness? Yeah. I thought all that was like this is awesome. Yeah. We all this is great. Right. But then there was this whole other world of narrow-minded judgment and i was like i I can't do that like i can't do the whole package here right and traditions that have been like thousands of years old essentially right yeah or however right right these traditions are that worked maybe back then exactly and as we evolve and grow exactly didn't keep up Uh or part of it sometimes is the ability to go back through and say now uh like in the hebrew tradition they have this word shalom uh-huh. This Hebrew word, which means, it, it, the root word means wholeness. And it's the idea of everything in its right place. And so there's shalom. There's peace with yourself. You're comfortable in your own skin. There's peace with each other. Mm-hmm. There's peace between tribes. There's peace with the soil. Yeah. Our proper treatment of the earth. So in this one beautiful word, shalom, you have this whole way of understanding this wholeness that we all long for, a sense of oneness, a sense that everything's in its right place. Um, so you have these rich linguistic traditions that just give you language for stuff. Uh-huh. 
Um, you have what to do with loss, grieving, disorientation. Um, what happens when the rules that you were given for how the game works don't work anymore? Think about how many people in business were taught you have a product, you advertise the product, people buy the product, you make, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden now they're like, no one wants our product. Right. You know what I mean? No one wants VHS tapes. Exactly. Or well, the publishing world too. Yeah, exactly. The book world. The, uh, think of how many different areas of business it doesn't work at all like it used to. And you have people who are like, mm-hmm. man, I was awesome in the old world. And in the new world, so that's, yeah. a, that's a profound disorientation, which has very real spiritual mm. consequences. I used to know who I am. Our business, we used to know. We used to have an identity. Our company, yeah, yeah we used to be whatever company, Company X, and we were great. And now, what, what happened? Yeah. Um, like, think about Detroit and the auto industry and sort of, wait, what, we, used to, we used to run this town. Yeah. Um, and, so you're saying that, like, spiritual ideas, spiritual practices, or religions, religious beliefs could no longer work now that used to work or could be outdated or could be... Or sometimes it just... The hard work is taking what was the incredibly helpful, inspiring, useful practice there that we need to let people know about, that we need to make accessible, that Mm. it got drowned out in a sea of boredom or irrelevance. Um, and And I think what happens is for many people, it was all progress is awesome. But the problem is when everything that's back there got left behind. And that true progress is when you leave behind what can't make it into the new world. But there's some rich, profound wisdom back there sure. that we need to bring with us. And maybe it needs new language. Maybe it needs mm. new images and metaphors. Maybe it needs um, all, new ways of talking about it and thinking about it. Mm. But that's the power of sort of the work we get to do. Yeah. Um, what do you say you put your faith in? Well, some people would begin with, I put my faith, I believe there's something happening in the universe. I don't believe we're alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, some call it spirit, force, uh, energy, being, uh, God, and some of those words get loaded down for people with a bunch of associations. Uh-huh. I think there's something unfolding here. How come we don't have, have practiced slavery? And yet, several generations ago in this country, people had slaves. Mm-hmm. So why are there certain things that were culturally acceptable? A generation ago, there were establishments in America where there were two drinking fountains yeah. for people of two different skin colors. In the 60s, 70s. And not that long ago. Yeah. So what is happening? Mm. Think about restaurants now where all of their food is locally sourced. Um, Think about non-GMO. Think about organic. How come there's a a growing awareness that we're doing some terrible things to our planet? Or think about triple bottom line with businesses. It's no longer enough just to make money. You have businesses saying, is this a good place to work? Are we good to human beings? Are we good to the earth? How come there's something within us that says, if you're an NBA owner and you say horribly racist things, you shouldn't be allowed to keep your NBA team. Mm-hmm. Although those things were completely accepted a, couple, a generation right. ago by yeah. in certain places in the country. Yeah. So I think, what would you call that? What is unfolding that we all have a sense that we're so glad certain things aren't done anymore? 
And then in the same breath that we say, I'm so glad we don't do that primitive barbaric stuff, we also right now could all point to 10 or 20 or 50 or 1,000 things that we think we have a long way to go in that area. Whether it's the pay of women in the business world, whether it's – you can go down the list of things where you're like uh, urban education should be better. Right. Um, Child labor in other countries or something. is it within the human heart Hmm. that we have this awareness, the great – D. Chardin wrote, progress is the soul of the universe. So what is it moving the whole thing forward? Even when we say Syria, ISIS, that's that's bad, terrible, awful, brutal. How come we all have the sense that certain things are wrong and we should leave those things behind and move into a better future together? Right. And uh, one of the words people use for that is God. What do you call what is moving this whole thing forward? Right. Um, and whatever language you use for that, that's that's fine. But to tell to say there's nothing going on here. We're just randomly here. Come on. <laughs> yeah. There's something. It's too weird and mysterious and beautiful and inspiring. <laughs> now I'm interested. <laughs> One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. For people that, you know, have a strong faith in their religion, uh, you know, I don't even know all the different religions that are out there, but... There's quite a few, huh? (laughs) Do you know how many there are out there? Are... Well, as soon as you name it, someone would invent one tomorrow. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, the, what are the, there's probably and one. like what was that study? I think it was in England. They did they did like a survey of religions, and like more people said they were Jedi than something. No way. <laughs> oh my yeah. goodness. Um, I mean, 
in all these different religions, some of them focus on the Bible as their yeah. as their book to have faith in and what the word of the Bible, but they have different Bibles essentially in other religions, sure, right? Sure. I mean I'm pretty ignorant to this. Sure. Um but they all have a different faith of different belief, right, right, right. a different system that they believe is true for whatever the the reason we're here and the things yeah, we're yeah, to do, yeah. right? And I mean people are asking questions about the Bible, so I want to speak into that because that's what you you did study or you do study and you yeah. you believe in, right? And I wanted to ask someone asked a question about your take on relationships and the Bible. And well, first off, before we go into that, how do you <laughs> how do you view the Bible? And because you used to preach, you used to have a big church in Michigan. Sure. You used to preach and you used to talk about lessons in the Bible, but then you stopped doing that, right? Uh, I still talk about the Bible. Still talk about the Bible. I find it endlessly fascinating. The first thing about the Bible, the Bible is a record of evolving human consciousness. Okay. What so do you when mean by someone that? says. Oh, all that like genocide or all those commandments where God kills all those people. Hold on a second. That is somebody telling a story thousands of years ago. So the Bible was written by real people in real places at real times. So it reflects the consciousness, the worldview, the lens of that period. Mm. So thousands of years ago in the ancient world, people would go and you would slaughter another tribe in the name of your God. So it's not surprising that the stories from thousands of years ago are about people when they told stories and how their God gave them victory over that tribe and we slaughtered everybody. We didn't leave anybody alive. Um, it was a primitive, barbaric world. So it shouldn't be surprising that people told primitive and barbaric stories. Right. What's really interesting, like let's take Noah's Ark. There's a story about Noah's Ark and animals and there's a storm and that the world is flooded and... Noah and his family survive and all these people die. And people are like, see, why would you ever believe in this barbaric story? Right. Well, what's interesting at the time of Noah's flood, first off, there were lots of flood stories that came out of that period of history. So the Bible flood story, there were other flood stories. Huh. And the region that that story came out of experienced flooding on a regular basis. So it's not surprising that people would tell stories about floods. Now, no satellite images, no Google Earth, no weather <laughs> channel. So imagine thousands of years ago, you think the earth is flat, and every once in a while, flash floods come through and wipe out life as you know it. You can see how ancient people might have begun to say, maybe somebody's a bit pissed at us. Yeah. You can see where the idea of, of a divine force, where does this, why does this water do this? You can see how people told stories to try to make sense mm. of these... Uh, calamities. Yeah. So that so, what's really interesting is if you look at the other flood stories at the time, people generally said this flood happened because somebody somewhere is upset with us. And if and if a wall of water comes through and wipes out a lot of your life, you can see where people would attribute that to some sort of larger anger, judgment. Um, people do that nowadays. Right. You know what I mean. So right, right. now, what's interesting, like about the Bible flood story is at that time the flood stories would generally end with the divine force or god or goddess wiped everybody out because that's what the gods do. Mm-hmm. The The Bible flood story ends with God saying, I'm never going to do that again because my intention is to bless you. Right. So that story is actually a brand new idea in human history because people had just assumed the larger forces in the world are against us. Sure. That story is primitive and barbaric and people die. Of course, that's what those stories are like. 
But what's really interesting is there's this this twist at the end where you have a brand new idea in human history, which is that the ultimate word about us as human beings is not judgment, but it's blessing mm. and it's favor. Mm. So now why is that interesting? How many people do you know believe the universe is against them? A lot. How many people believe that the odds are stacked against me? I've been dealt a bad many, hand. Many. Um, and then other times you meet people and they're like, no, the world is like a place of love and generosity and we, we pass it along. That's why people are so drawn to you is because you have mm. the sense of like service. Yeah. You receive this extraordinary gift of life and then you give back. Well, that actually reflects two very deep worldviews. Is the universe a place of scarcity and judgment where the odds are stacked against me and I'm hosed? Cosmically, I am hosed. Right. Or is there some sort of movement of love and generosity that I can enter into? It's, it's both. It's whatever you choose, probably. Exactly. So what you have in the Bible thousands of years ago is this new idea of, you know, there's another way to see this whole thing. And so the problem for many people in the modern world is they go, why would I ever find any meaning in these old, ancient, primitive, barbaric stories? But if you really read it and you ask, what is the thing happening here? In the ancient world, people were wrestling with this brand new idea that you could live with favor and blessing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a, a view of the Bible that not many mm -hmm. people have ever been exposed to. But all of a sudden, you're now tapping into thousands of years of wisdom and history. Right. You're also realizing, wait, some of these questions human beings have been dealing with for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. I'm not the first person to wonder, is there some better way, is there some better story that I could orient my life around? Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is interesting. Right. I mean, the challenge I have, you know, I grew up in a Christian religion, and the challenge I have is, like, some people put all their faith in what the Bible says or these stories that, you know, are outdated. And, and my question is, how do we even know these things actually happened? How do we know, like, these... Right. Great question. People who wrote these stories were actually telling the truth of what actually happened or is their experience or whatever. And are we taking this as, like... This is how we should live our lives today. What people were saying thousands of years ago is how we should live our lives today. Right, so, right. Great question. You know, should we be evolved from these theories or beliefs uh, in some sense? Um, or how should we view that? And how should we live life based on great. this one book? Yeah, great question. Anytime you have a book that a group of people find is a sacred, hold to be holy, sacred, a divine scripture, whatever, everything has to be interpreted. Yeah. So when somebody says, I'm just doing what it says, no, you made a series of interpretations. Okay. So uh, here's what I mean by that. Let's take, uh, let's take your hardcore fundamentalist Christian conservative friend uh, who says, I just do what the Bible says. Exactly. Interesting, because when you came in the room, you didn't greet me with a holy kiss, and you're wearing two different kinds of fabric that have been sewn together. <laughs> right. Leviticus in the Bible specifically prohibits wearing two different kinds of fabric, and the New Testament says greet one another with a holy kiss. So you didn't. You you don't actually take it literally. Well, I only take certain things literally. <laughs> exactly. I take so, these things literally. Exactly. The ones I want to take literally. <laughs> so the moment somebody says we take it literally, no. You interpret it. 
or in the case most people haven't thought about it very much, and they're actually living according to somebody else's interpretation. To their parents' interpretations, yeah. to the church's yeah. interpretations. Somebody somewhere told them this is how to read it. So here's an example. In the prophets in the Old Testament, there is a line that says, to care for the poor is to know me, says God. So you have this great line, you want to know the divine, take care of the poor. That God is found on the underside. God is found in in the suffering. When you take care of somebody who's hungry, thirsty, somebody who's been kicked around, somebody, an immigrant, when you make sure somebody has what they need to get through the day, that's, now that's religion. That's how you come to know the divine. Mm. So there it is, clear as day. <laughs> but how many people, when you say, what is the Bible about? What are there, 2,000 verses about caring mm. for those who, for the poor? Yeah. How many people, when you say, what's the Bible about, would say, the Bible is about the responsibility we all have to take care of those who are hurting in our midst? That That is not an answer many people would give you, and yet I would say, if you read the scriptures, and that isn't one of the most apparent, loud themes that comes up again and again and again. It's what Jesus talked about again and again. So I begin with everybody has some interpretation Mm. and some things in the scriptures. We don't live in that kind of world. Um, So some just doesn't, it's not about, uh, it's not a practice or a cultural reference point that we have any relation to. Mm Mm-hmm. But these are human beings who are struggling to find meaning and make sense of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. So, like, you can go way back some the, the book of Leviticus, for some people, like the most boring book in the Bible, has this one command, leave a corner of your field and don't harvest it. So whenever you harvest your field, leave a corner of the field for those, for the widow the orphan and the immigrant among you Hmm. so that those who don't have land and don't have access to food can come and they can harvest that corner of your field. Leave a corner as a practice. Right. Always remember in your bounty and abundance to spread a little of that love around. Mm -hmm. So you're like, this is an ancient (laughs) agricultural setting. A command that couldn't be farther from our life here in Los yeah, Angeles in 2016. Yeah. And yet, you go just like an inch below the surface and you're like, how can I, Interpret this. in my life, leave a corner? Yeah. And suddenly you're like, now that's an interesting question. Right. Have I been blessed this year? Have I been given any skill, talent, resource? And how can I pass that along for the well-being of someone else? Mm-hmm. So as soon as someone says to me, oh, that's outdated, it's culturally outmoded, there's no relevance, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. That image of leaving a corner is actually really compelling. Mm -hmm. So when someone says, did it happen? Was the person telling the truth? Um, I was like, wrong questions. Much better question. Why did they write this down? What were they learning? Why did this endure? What was it? In this story, image, metaphor, poem, what was it that struck a chord with people that they felt the need to pass this along? Gotcha. And now you're in a much more interesting 
um, what does it leave? What does it mean for America right. to leave a corner for the rest of the world? So you're saying what that. Does it, so you're saying that's almost irrelevant if these things actually happen the way the words are written. Yeah, and actually, and it's also interesting. In the ancient world, they did not think about history like you and I think about history. So you and I, let's take nine eleven. A good American now, what happened on 9-11? You and I would be like, well, to accurately tell that story, you would need to know how many people died, yep. how many planes were there, when what were was, the names of the pilots, yeah, what time, all that. All, yeah. But you could know all the facts about 9-11 and have no insight into what it meant. There are some people in the world who don't like us. Why don't they like us? Why do we have, is it 662 military bases outside of America? We have built military bases <laughs> on Muslim holy sites. Yeah. We do that because there's oil there. We need oil to drive large cars. There are people who have said to us, please don't build military bases on our most holy sites. <laughs> and we're like, excuse me, we need oil. Yeah. <laughs> so um, set aside from the brutality of terrorism and the taking of innocent life, there are some other questions that 9-11 raises about are there ways that America has acted in the world that haven't been good and kind and generous. Yeah. So in the ancient world, when you look at how they recorded history, they were much less interested in the actual precise facts of what happened and much more interested in what did it mean? Um, how can we learn from it? You know what I mean? Yeah. So that writer isn't, telling you this story the way that we tell a story because the writer is going for something much bigger deeper meaning yeah and some scholars even talk about more than literal truth mm. um so like a friend betrays you and you say man i was like i got stabbed in the back but i don't actually you you're you're leaning stabbed. back in that chair so <laughs> there's actually not a knife in your back yeah exactly so what's interesting is it's true that they stabbed you in the back um, at a more than literal truth <laughs> right. level. So a lot of people in seeing themselves as very intelligent and sophisticated say, well, the Bible, it's all that literal nonsense. But it's actually working at a much more profound level than that. Interesting. Um, and so to take modern categories and to like impose them on ancient storytelling... Yes. You may, in the process of dismissing that, because, well, we all know that that doesn't whatever happen, um, you may actually miss the deeper truth sure. that person was trying to convey. But you're, but you're also saying that it may not have been the actual literal truth. Sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Right, right. Well, like an example would be Adam and Eve. The name Adam in the first couple chapters of the Bible in Hebrew is Ha-Adam, H A. A-D-A-M, although Hebrew doesn't have vowels. Ha means the in Hebrew. So the Adam is how it reads. And Adam means essentially uh, like human or earth. So the name Adam means the human. Mm. So when people say, well, did Adam and Eve happen literally? The writer there, the poet, refers to Adam as the human. It's not a name like Lewis or Rob. <laughs> It's a generic name. I think the poet there is speaking of Adam and Eve as humans. And the story is about these people who are here in this beautiful, mysterious, exotic, heartbreaking world. 
what are they going to do with the lives they've been given? Mm. Um, the point isn't a literal man and woman. The point is humans from day one have had this awareness that life is a gift. What kind of world are you going to make? And I think the reason why the poet describes them in this way is because the poet is working at a much more sophisticated level. The poet wants you to read this account of Adam and Eve, this account of the human and mother of living, uh -huh. which are these really broad, generic terms, <laughs> because the poet wants us to read the poem and go, what am I, what kind of world am I making? Mm. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's just a much more interesting story then. Right. And then arguments and debates about whether they were literal people is so missing the point. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, come on, come on, come on. Let's get to the real question is what kind of world are we making? Gotcha. And the problem... What if people want to know, like, well, how did it start? Like, well, where, and, did it, where did humans begin? Did it start from an explosion? Was there like, they just dropped down? Was it <laughs> evolution? Like, what's your belief on, on that aspect of it? I think... Uh, the first humans, how do they... I think we created? evolved over time from earlier, less complex life forms. Yeah. And uh, at some point, when featherless bipeds moved from hunched over to walking upright, we began to interact with each other. There's some belief that we were walking around interacting, but there was a 60,000-year period where we, before we invented language. Really? Oh, yeah. So, so you, can sort of, uh, you can sort of chart how, at some point, consciousness reached like a, almost a tipping point, and humans, for the first time in the history of the universe— what, 13.8 billion years in, we developed the ability to reflect. Hmm. Um, dinosaurs weren't going like, I just don't feel like my career is working out. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the idea of the ability, love, hope, reflection, pondering, despair, um, the ability to, to stand outside of your life and reflect upon it, that relationship isn't fulfilling. Um, so it didn't happen my for work, a long time, thousands of years. We weren't able consciousness to consciousness really... is actually comes late in the history of the universe. Wow! So, uh, as the great Rumi, the 12th century mystic, said, "What does a rock know of April?" <laughs> so yeah. good. Um, you creation rocks don't have just book clubs discussions. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's even too bad. we might get a lot more books. Exactly. <laughs> so. Even the ability to think about your life, to reflect on your life, to have this conversation. Didn't happen until when? Happens 13, what, 0.678 billion years into the life of the universe. Wow. So this is, again, to me, how do you explain the emergence of consciousness in the universe? How do we explain the idea of progress? Certain things are barbaric, barbaric and primitive. We should leave them behind. Certain other ideals we're still working for. Hmm. This story of how we're here and how we got here and how we began to reflect on how we got here. You know what I mean? So yeah. you think about your listener who's like, I think there was a big bang. I don't think there was a big bang. Somebody coming out of a very rigid religious environment, somebody coming out of a scientific background who's like, why would anybody ever fall for any of this religious nonsense? Mm. Even these thoughts and discussions are brand new in the history of the universe. Right. Right. <laughs> Which to me is just speaks to the great mysteries of, Anybody who says there's nothing else going on here, we're sure. just a collection of biology. Come on. Right. Way more interesting than that. Yeah, of course. And let's talk about you know relationships and sexual relationships because the Bible has its specific point of view, but you're saying uh, you know, the consciousness has evolved from yeah. a point of view of, you know, 
no same-sex marriage and those type of relationships are yeah. wrong or bad or not godly or something or whatever, you know, they're not considered normal. Um, and now they're considered more normal in, in culture yeah. and being more conscious. But still, some people don't believe that. What are your, what are your thoughts on well, everything that's evolving? Exactly, exactly. Well, first off, when someone says the Bible is really clear and has a very definitive plan, interesting because in the book of Leviticus, there is something called leveret marriage, which is if your brother dies and you're a dude, then you've got to marry his wife and get her pregnant to carry the family line. <laughs> That's what it says. Yeah. Wow. So when someone says, well, the Bible's really clear, I'm like, really? You practice leveret marriage? Your brother dies, you're going to marry his wife? Secondly, you have Ezra and Nehemiah, you have a command, you can only marry somebody of your own race. Really? You can only marry somebody of your own race? Um, so when somebody says there's a very clear plan, or for example, the command, be fruitful and multiply. Well, if you're in an agricultural setting, and there's only a few of you, you need to have lots of kids because the very survival of your tribe and the human race right. is at stake. Right. We don't have that problem now. Right. We actually have the opposite problem. Too many. We have issues from overpopulation. But you would you'd populate with the same person or multiple people? Well, like just when it says be fruitful and multiply, that would be a very powerful word when you need people to work the soil. Yeah. Because if you're not harvesting the land, you're not going to survive. Mm -hmm. Or when you think about a tribal consciousness culture, which is we're all part of tribes, at any moment that tribe could charge into our village and slaughter us all. Yep. So we need more, more army. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is why oftentimes in those Old Testament passages, it'll be like Zohan, the son of Rumichab, had 314 <laughs> men. And we're like, what a, like those sort of long lists of who had how many camels can be so boring. At that time, that was like a really big deal because that was about the survival of everything. Right. Um, so you have to read ancient writings in the context of how they came about. Right. And there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this first part of the two-part series. The second part will be coming out in a couple days, so make sure to share this out with your friends if this is your first time here. Subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Just go to the app right now and click on subscribe. That way they will automatically pop up. Uh, the future episodes will show up in your podcast app. Again, this is 100% free, so make sure to share this with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 275. If you find this insightful or you found anything valuable, feel free to email a friend and let them know and say, hey, I know you've been going through some challenges. I think this will support you. doesn't matter what religion and what background they're in. I think this could apply to all individuals. lewishouse.com slash 275. I appreciate you guys so very much. I am pumped for the next episode. Stay tuned, and we'll come back in a little bit. You guys know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.
Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.